Good morning. So I've been thinking a bit about uh, how you know when you've become old. And like glasses now, I can use them to see far away, but close up I have to take them off. Uh, but when I think about being old, there are a few things that sort of come to mind immediately. Like, how will I know for sure when I'm just kind of an old dude, right? Um, and when I think of old guys, I think of a few things specifically. I think of guys who, like, pull their driver's seat way up close to the steering wheel. Um, I think of, like, when I start getting hungry for dinner at 4 p.m. Um, and then this is sort of the kicker for me. The, the day that I say to my wife, um, uh, hey, can you bring me those white tennis shoes to put on with my suit? <laughs> then I know I'm there. Um, and those are like kind of fun things that come with being old, right? But uh, I think something else that um, happens. Uh, age is sometimes accompanied by um, a really beautiful clarity of thought, a beautiful clarity of desire, a beautiful clarity of understanding. And in our passage this morning, we're going to see what I think is um, a very um, deep sense of clarity and understanding and desire in the heart of Moses as he speaks to the people of Israel. They've been wandering together in the wilderness for 40 years, uh, God's rescued people, and they're on the cusp of entering the promised land. They've been led by the Lord in a pillar of cloud and fire. He's provided for them food and water and protection. They met him at Sinai, God himself, in a theophanic presence, God comes, confirmed a covenant with him there. And now the time of fulfillment is at hand. The promised land is about to be theirs. But Moses will not go with them. They'll have to live without his leadership, and he knows their tendency to turn away from the living God. So these are the words that he's going to speak to him. Will you please stand as we read Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now this is the commandment, the statues and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. You shall be as a frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And the Lord your God brings, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is the word of the Lord. 
Let's pray. Uh, Father God, thank you for your holy word. Um, Thank you, Lord, that by your spirit you speak to us. We thank you that it is alive and living. Um, We thank you, Father, for your faithfulness and your goodness. I pray that uh, your spirit would guide uh, me this morning, that you would be with us, and that you would minister to our hearts and to our souls. Be with us now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. So as they prepare to cross over, these are the words that Moses shares with the Israelites. He says, now this is the commandment, the statues and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Now here is the charge. And what he's about to do is he's about to lay before the people, here's how you are to live when you go into the land that God has promised. This is what you are to live by. This is how your hearts are to be oriented. And the heart of it is fairly simple. The heart of it is this. When you go into the promised land, if you keep God's commands in the land that he's going to give you, he will continue to bless you. It will go well with you. You'll have long life. You'll have children and future generations. But in the midst of that, in the mention of the blessings, in the heart of the thought, is this comment about the fear of the Lord, reverence and respect for the living God. He says that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, keeping all his statutes and commandments. And Moses links these two things, these ideas of obedience and reverence, obedience and the fear of the Lord. And you might think that it would make sense that the fear of the Lord leads to reverence, that it leads to obedience, that if you're, you have a fear for God, that it will lead and dictate your actions. But it's actually quite interesting. It's not what Scripture says. And from experience, it doesn't really work that way. Scripture says, the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping his statutes and his commandments. I think we know also from experience that it doesn't really work that way. The person who serves God primarily out of fear, right, will only do so as long as they believe that not serving him will be punished in some fashion. In other words, fear can only lead to temporary obedience, and then it will cease. So think about that. Um, We're starting here, and Moses is saying, when you come into the land, you need to obey the commandments that God has given. And you obey the commandments so that you will fear the Lord. And you think it, it might be the other way around, right? If you go into the land, fear the Lord so that you will keep his commandments. But Moses knows that fear, reverence, respect isn't enough to make a person obedient. And I think we know that from our own experience in our own lives. If, um, if you look at, at what motivates you to obedience, uh, a great example, just last week, um, the chapel scanners were kind of broken at, at the beginning of chapel. And it was a fascinating thing. I came over and as I was coming over, I was watching people go in and people like push out. And it was sort of an odd thing. And my immediate thought was something's wrong with the scanners. And as I'm coming in, 
there's a, a girl, and I'm not chastising you at all because I totally understand, but there's a girl coming out saying, chapel scanners are broken, chapel scanners are broken. Yeah, so, so here's the thing. The fear of writing chapel summaries, right, may actually be a motivation for some people to go to chapel. And it may actually work over the course of a semester or a year, maybe even four years, right? But the Lord's requirements and commands are daily, life-encompassing, moment by moment and minute by minute. And Moses knows that fear and awe and reverence is not going to beget obedience. But obedience does actually, in turn, bring fear of the Lord, and it brings reverence and awe and respect because you're obeying the commands that reflect the character and the nature of the living God. With the commands of God, which require your whole life, fear cannot be the motivation. And here's the thing about fear as motivation. If you cease to obey the commands of God, which you will do if fear is your motivation, if and when you cease to obey the commands of God, you will in short turn forget God himself. Um, Paul, uh, Moses talks about it just later in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you this day. Instead, the Lord says to keep his commandments that you will fear him. The Israelites will develop reverence and respect by following commands as they reveal him. Scripture talks about the necessity, about the beauty, the sweetness of the fear of the Lord and what it brings. Proverbs 1 talks about it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But nowhere in Scripture does it say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of obedience. Obedience is connected and motivated by something far, far deeper. And Moses is going to go there in just a moment. Because I think we know ourselves well enough to know that the truth is that our selfish desire will ultimately and always trump any reverence or fear that we may have. Obedience to the commands of God should instead be motivated by something far greater. And so, enter the Shema, the heart of Jewish prayer, the heart of what uh, Jews pray every morning and every, me- every evening. What Moses knew had to be the heart of following the commands of God. And this is for us as well. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. As the Lord's people trekked into the promised land, they walked into a world of polytheism. The Shema starts, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is not first among many gods, like Baal was in the, Can- in the Canaanite pantheon, like Amun-Ra in Egypt, like Marduk in Babylon. He is the one God. He's the only God. He is the true God, the creator, and he is Israel's redeemer. And he is to be loved with heart and soul and strength, with affection and mind and perseverance and power. Because as it turns out, love is the only thing that can lead to true obedience. Love makes a person glad to serve which leads to a reverence and a fear, which in turn is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. And Matthew and Mark both record Jesus' words on this. When he's asked, what is the greatest commandment in the entire law? He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. Love the Lord with your feelings, with your thoughts, 
with your actions. It has to be at the very core of who you are as a human being. Love has to be the center and foundation of all devotion and reverence. Without love, there's only shallow obedience and temporary reverence. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way and when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. The law of God, the commands of God are to be on our hearts, to be at the very core of who we are, what makes us tick and what makes us go as human beings. And it's so important to understand this as we examine our own lives. Um, When we look at the way that our lives play out day to day, real life, rubber meeting road, faith in Jesus Christ directing our very lives, do we actually love God? Um, I have an old friend. um, When he first went into the pastorate, um, he was an assistant pastor in a small church. And one afternoon, he was in his church office, door closed, looking at pornography on his church computer. And the pastor's wife walked in. He knew that she had seen exactly what happened. She closed the door quickly and went out. And he felt his entire life crumble before him. He knew the shame that was about to come. He knew he was going to be fired. He went into the pastor's office, sat down. He said, I know you're going to fire me. I'm so, so sorry, and I'm so, so ashamed. And the pastor said to him, I'm actually not going to fire you. We're going to work with you because I think you think that you have a pornography problem. But the problem is that you love something more than you love Jesus. And he walked with him. And this man now is a beautiful, wonderful, godly pastor. That's the case, I think, in many of our lives. We think we have issues that are other. But the heart of it is, do we love anything in this world more than we love our Lord. Because if we do, things are going to be out of whack. Because of the importance of loving the Lord, we have to be careful. And Moses knew this about the Israelites. He knew that they were not just disobedient, but he knew that there was one thing that stood in their way and that would continue to stand in their way, that they were forgetters. He says, you have to be careful. You are a forgetful people. And you're going to be tempted to forget the Lord. They probably thought he was being dramatic. They probably thought he was just throwing out a big thing. There's no way that they would forget their God, right? They'd seen him on Sinai. He'd provided. He was about to open the promised land before them. But we are a forgetful people. We forget good things, and we forget bad things, and we forget the Lord. So Moses says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, to give to you, and then hear what he does. He's going to lay out the blessings that are right before them, okay? This is how amazing the promised land is going to be. With great and good cities that you did not build. With houses full of all good things that you did not fill. Cisterns, wells for water that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, you're going into this land, and God is providing everything. And you're going to be blessed, and you're going to eat and be full and rejoice. 
And when it happens, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He reminds them where they have been and what God has done that they might have proper perspective on the present. Be careful, take heed, watch yourself that you do not forget him. They needed to remember what was in order to understand what is. I think we know in our own lives that we are forgetters, right? We're quick to forget. We forget good and we forget bad. Um, I was thinking in my life just things that, that, that have happened that should have been life-altering things. When I was about your age, I wasn't a Christian, and, uh, well, I became a Christian my sophomore year of college, but before I met Jesus, um, spent a, a, an evening um, pretty uh, close, had severe alcohol poisoning one night um, after a night of very irresponsible drinking, um, and I was truly and am truly grateful to be alive because um, there's really no reason that I should have lived through that. Um, And you would think that uh, uh, getting that sick and being that close to death would be something that I would remember and tell me that I am not capable of drinking responsibly. And it did for a good week. That was about it. I forgot because I'm a forgetter. And then I forget the good as well, the things that the Lord has done. A a truly wonderful, gracious act of God, a miracle perhaps. Um, I'm on a fishing boat in Alaska, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing, and we're driving in, and we're running from a storm, and I have this moment with the Father, and it was one one of the most sort of intimate moments that I've had with the Lord in this sense. I was sitting there, and there were three of us in the boat, and we're trolling, um, as, as we're going in, and this is it, end of the day, and I had this conversation with, with the Father. And I said, Father, um, I'm going to ask something simply because I want it, and you're my Father. I don't expect you to do anything, and I don't expect it to happen, but Lord, I would love to catch a fish right now. And I am not joking. Two seconds later, wham! Wham! and pulled in about a 26-inch rainbow, right? Now, there are all sorts of ways that the entire world can understand it. And I will tell you this. The Lord is simply being a gracious Father, giving me something I didn't deserve, and how quick I am to forget when I go to Him in prayer. Hear that? We're forgetters. We are people who forget. But Scripture calls us, and God calls us, to be rememberers, right? And to remember not just propositionally, but to remember experientially. And what I mean by that is, I can say to you, remember the Lord your God. Remember your Father, right? And you can say, of course, the Lord is our God. The Lord is my Father, right? You can say that propositionally. In the same way that I can say to you this, I remember the day that my oldest daughter was born, October 5th, 1998. Factual. It's very different to say. I remember on October 4th, 1998, when my wife's water broke. It was the middle of the night. We were just in bed. And we woke up, and she still jokes 
because I insisted on taking a shower before we go to the hospital. <laughs> we go to the hospital and get checked in. And as we're checked in, we begin to walk the halls. And we're walking the halls, she's holding onto my arm, one hand on the, on, the, on the rail, and we're walking through the halls waiting for her labor to come. And then when labor really kicks in, we go into the room and they put this thing around her belly that measures the, the heartbeat of the baby. And I was hungry, so I went and got a bowl of cornflakes and brought them in. And she, and she about murdered me <laughs> because the smell and crunch of cornflakes was awful at the time for her. And then eventually the doctor comes in, and I'm holding my wife's arm, and my daughter's head crowns, and I kind of look down and see this like massive like cops of black hair. And I'm sure with that much hair, it has to be a boy. And out comes our daughter and Dr. Keenan, our 70-year-old Irish um, doctor. I said, Dr. Keenan, what is it? And he holds her up and says, you tell me. <laughs> I'm like, but do you see the difference, right? Like I can say propositionally, here's a fact that I remember my daughter's birth. But then what I just did was a very different thing. The Lord calls us not simply to remember that he is, but to remember him experientially. To remember what he has done in history, what he's done in our lives, what he promises to do in the future. You may ask, how is it that we can remember God experientially? We can remember God experientially through his living word. We don't go to a, a, a book that is simply paper and, and material. We go to words that when you read them, by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, come alive. And we interact with our living God. We come into worship with other believers and the power and the spirit of the living God calls us into his presence. The means of grace. We celebrate the Lord's Supper together in church under the authority of a session on a Sunday morning corporate worship. We remember experientially because our God is an experiential God. Be careful lest you forget that that is our God. Be careful lest you forget that we love him because he first loved us. That he died a death on a cross for our sins that we could never pay. That his love for us is far greater than we could ever imagine. That he died on that tree, a cursed death that we deserved, was put in a tomb and raised three days later foreshadowing the resurrection that we would have, and then ascended to the right hand of God the Father where he actually lives and intercedes and prays for us in ways that will probably one day blow our minds. That he's going to come back and claim us as his own. And until then, he gives us the Holy Spirit that we might know him. So I, I ask you this, and this is how I'd like to end. Two questions. What do you love? 
and what have you forgotten? Ask the Lord to reveal those things because we're forgetful people and he calls us to be rememberers. Amen? Let's pray. Our gracious God and King, our conqueror and our provider, forgive us, Lord, for we are so quick to be lulled into forgetting and how ironic that it oftentimes comes by the blessings that you've provided. I pray, Father, that as we, a people who live here in this place, the opportunities and the blessings that we have, sometimes forget that they are all and always have been yours, that they come only from your hand. Help us to remember you. Help us to remember who we are in light of you and your love. I pray, Father, that you will be gracious to us, that you will reveal to us the things that we love and the things that we have forgotten, that we might turn to you always in repentance, always in love. We might obey you, be awestruck by your amazingness. Lord, please, um, by your Spirit, make us desire you above all things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.